oxymoron. Oxymoron. The word literally means pointedly foolish. The Oxford English Dictionary defines it like this. A figure of speech in which apparently contradictory terms appear in conjunction. So, for example, jumbo shrimp, oxymoron. Crash landing, oxymoron. Deafening silence, oxymoron. And to that list, Kenny's already alluded to this fact, Good Friday could be added. Because how is it that the Friday on which Jesus, the one by whom and through whom and for whom all things were created and in whom all things hold together, how is it that that Friday on which he was killed by those whom he had created, no less, is in any way good? And so during our few moments tonight, that's the question we want to answer. Why is Good Friday good? Why is the day on which Jesus died worth not only remembering, but proclaiming? It's an important question, especially since we remember and proclaim the death of Jesus in a very pronounced way two times a month, and as you can tell, we're prepared to do so again tonight. So why is Good Friday good? We'll consider the answer to that question from two different passages of Scripture. Uh, First, in some words spoken by Jesus uh, that are found in Luke 22, and then in some words that are spoken about Jesus, and those are in Isaiah 53, already beautifully read by Jan Buck. So that's the way forward tonight. Why is Good Friday good? Well, to begin, it's good because According to Jesus, in Luke 22, his body was given in service for us. Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. My body, not just any body, but the body that we confess to being Emmanuel, God with us. The body about which we sing at Christmas, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. My body, Jesus said, which is for you. Not a body to be built up for his own benefit, but a body, but a body to be poured out in service to others. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And that while being emptied and humbled, Philippians chapter 2, even with loud cries and tears, Hebrews chapter 5. So Christ's body was given in service for you, for me. But not only that, Christ's blood was given as a sacrifice for us. Jesus continues in Luke 22, 20. He says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The Old Covenant was comprised of promises that required the blood of many sacrifices. But the New Covenant uh, fulfilled all of those promises by the blood of a single sacrifice, Jesus Christ. And that's why the Scripture tells us, for all the promises of God found in the Old Covenant, 
find their yes in Jesus, the author of the new covenant. So why is Good Friday good? Well, to begin, because Jesus Christ, God incarnate, lived and died in service and in sacrifice for you and for me. Which will leave some of us wondering this. So what? I never asked Jesus to do those things for me. Why should I feel compelled to respond in any way to his life and death? And the answer to that question is found in the other passage at which we're looking tonight, which is Isaiah 53, where we see that as Jesus moved toward us in service and in sacrifice, we moved away from him. So as Jan read for us earlier in verse number six, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And so as a people, as persons, we have deserted our great shepherd, God himself. And as a result, we're lost. In fact, that is the, the, almost the last thing that's said in the longest chapter in Scripture, Psalm 119, verse 176. We're lost. And in our sinful lostness, we hurt others while we hurt ourselves. Isaiah described our hurtful actions as transgressions and iniquities and their painful results as grief and guilt and sorrows. <laughs> Some years ago, we were on a family vacation driving through the highlands of Scotland, and I came around a corner, and bam, I had a sheep who had gone astray <laughs> and suffered the consequences for it. I think about that sheep <laughs> because he is so much like you and me, isn't he? We go astray, we, we do what we want, and bam, we suffer for it. We go astray, we think what we want, bam, we suffer for it. We go astray, we say what we want, bam, we suffer for it. And I don't have to go into any greater detail than that for each one of us to recall things that we've done and said and thought that have led to grief and guilt and sorrows for us as well as others. But gratefully, Isaiah said that uh, Jesus can repair what we've broken. And, and he can heal those whom we have hurt. In fact, he can do that because Jesus has dealt with our sin. Isaiah tells us in verses 5 and 6, as well as 10, 11, and 12, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, even the iniquities of us all. But not only has Jesus dealt with our sin, he's dealt with the, the sorrow and the shame and the guilt that accompanies it. So in verses 4 and 10, we read, Jesus has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Verse 10, his soul made an offering for 
our guilt. I like the way the Apostle John puts it at the end of the Bible, 1 John chapter 1, where he talks about how Jesus is faithful to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he not only deals with the source of the sin, but the stain that it leaves behind. I was thinking about that this afternoon, and Lady Macbeth popped in my mind. If you've read Shakespeare, you know Lady Macbeth in her dream, trying to get the stain off her hand. She can't get the stain off her hand. The guilt remains. The deed is passed, but the guilt remains. Jesus handles all that. In fact, that word for cleanse is the word uh, from which we get the name Catherine. Purify. Jesus purifies us. Well, these are the things that were settled on the cross. Settled on the cross the day that Jesus was killed. And that's what makes Good Friday good. And so you'd think that everybody would want in on this thing, right? But no, we don't because we reject Jesus, and we do so for entirely superficial reasons. In fact, if Jesus was a book, we'd have rejected him just for the cover. Consider in verse number two there in Isaiah 53, we reject Jesus for his upbringing. Uh, for he grew up like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. In other words, Jesus' life was entirely ordinary, yea, de classe. Uh, further, we reject Jesus for his appearance. Again, there in chapter 2, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. One night about 10 years ago, I was speaking to a group of students in the lobby of the dining commons at Taylor University where I served as campus pastor. And uh, during the event, I, I, I can see him in my head right now, this old man, shuffled in, and he was slightly unkempt and um, uh, mildly confused. And so uh, while I could have easily ignored him, I asked the students to excuse me, and I went over and I, I asked if I could assist him. And when I was done, I returned uh, to the students whose attention had long since turned away from the man and, and was on to other things. But I asked them the question, do, do any of you know who he is? And they neither knew nor it was pretty obvious really cared. And I, I said, he's the one whose name is on the front of this building. That's Art Hodson. See, in Grant County, Indiana, the name Art Hodson is either connected to buildings like Hodson Dining Commons at Taylor University, uh, the campus center at White's Family Center up in Wabash, or a residence hall over at Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, or it's connected to money, almost $14 million of which Hodson gave to Taylor upon his death. And that was just one gift that he gave. But on that night, and the poignancy in the moment did not escape me, and it remains with me to this night. The irony of it all, Art Hodson, who did so much for so many, even those students who were sitting right there, well, he had no former majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. 
And then there was Jesus, who did so much more for so many more and wasn't even regarded. Finally, we reject Jesus for his lack of acceptance. Not that he wasn't accepting, but that no one accepted him. Verse number three, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and, and, and one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. And because Jesus was rejected for his upbringing and his appearance and his lack of acceptance, verse number three concludes, we esteemed him not. And verse number four goes so far as to state that if we esteemed him at all, we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. But here's the thing. None of that kept Jesus from moving toward us. While we rejected him, Jesus redeemed us. In verse number five there, Isaiah says, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. What a transaction. Jesus receives the chastisement that I deserve, and in return, I get peace. Jesus gets the wounds that I deserve, and I'm healed. That transaction cost Jesus everything. But it secured for us a relationship with him. And that's why Good Friday is good. Some of you uh, know Jerry Root. They've taken a course from him over at Biola. Heard him on the radio. Uh, Jerry was my youth pastor when I was a teenager and was especially fond of of a story that illustrates this great transaction that took place on Good Friday. Uh, I think I've told it before, but it bears repeating again tonight. It's about a boy who built a boat, and he drew up the design, and he bought all of the pieces and parts, and then he assembled it very carefully and lovingly. And then came the afternoon for the boat's maiden voyage. And so he went to the local park. It was a large lake there, maybe something like uh, Laguna Lake Park. And uh, uh, he set the sail and he placed the boat in the water and uh, he watched it take off. And the boy was absolutely thrilled with what he saw. I mean, the appearance of the boat against the afternoon sky and the ease with which it traveled across the water and the speed at which it went... But very soon, his excitement was eclipsed by sadness. You can hear it coming. Because his boat, that boat that he designed and lovingly put together, well, his boat had sailed so far away from him that it sailed out of sight. And it was gone. And with it, the sunlight, his boat was lost. So a number of months later, the boy's walking down the street. He's in the downtown section of, uh, of his hometown. And in the window of a local pawn shop is the boat, his boat. So he busts through the front door, and he runs to the counter, and he asks the proprietor, how much is that boat in the window? And the proprietor tells him, and immediately he realizes, 
that that's all the money he has. But no price is too great for him to redeem his boat. So he goes home, he fills his pockets with all the money that he had been collecting in his little banks, and he went back to the pawn shop, and he poured it all out onto the counter, and the proprietor went, and he got the boat, and he handed it to the boy, and the boy clutched it close to him. And as he was walking out of the shop, the proprietor overheard the boy saying, you're twice mine. First I made you, and now I bought you. You're twice mine. And that's what makes Good Friday good. The one who made us is also the one who bought us. The one against whom we rebelled is the one by whom we were redeemed. Good Friday is not an oxymoron. But as the Apostle Peter put it, he himself bore our sins in his body that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And so as we come to the table tonight, we acknowledge by way of the bread, Jesus sinless life of service. And by way of the cup, Jesus' sinless sacrifice for our sins, both of which were for us. And as we do, we want to confess our sins for which Jesus died. Maybe you've never confessed your sins to Jesus. One way to do that is by way of this little card that you were handed tonight on the way in. Jesus was delivered up for my, well, you know your sin. You might just want to write it down. And another, and another. Or, you know what, you could write, I am a sinner. (laughs) Doesn't have so much to do with what I've done, but who I am, I'm fundamentally opposed to God, then take that card, jot those things down, take that card, and then in a moment, symbolically, give it to Jesus by placing it in one of these receptacles here at the end of each aisle. And then, once you've given that to Jesus, receive from him the bread, which represents his body, and then the juice, which represents his blood, both of which were given for you. Maybe you've confessed your sin to Christ, but you continue to especially struggle with with one particular sin. Write that down on the card. Give it again to Jesus. And when you do, receive from him his body and his blood, both of which were given for you.